Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Um, one of the things I was thinking this morning that I was praying is that we need a lot of encouragement as fathers, and I just rejoice that we have the ultimate role model in the Father. And so, Lord, we just, we just bless you today. We thank you for being an amazing Father and making it a lot easier for us to follow. Um, okay, well, today we are digging into our one-word series. We're continuing that. Um, today's word, I will tell you, is a word that strikes fear in the heart of many. Um, it is a word of discouragement for some. Uh, some of us out there hear the word and we go, I, I, I know I've heard that word before. It comes up in Scripture reading, but I'm not sure what it's all about. And then, of course, a few of us have got this one figured out. So, I am looking forward to bringing you this word today that was recommended to us by Sandy Morgan. Um, we said we used some of y'all's words, and Sandy brought this one, and I said, yes, Lord. So, uh, just before we get there, um, one of the things that I, I do, I have been doing as I get older, is I have been reflecting quite often on how changing our world is. Um, it's amazing how age will give you a perspective on the world you live in. And, and I've just been struck so often by how our world is always changing. Um, you know, there, there's always advances. Um, you know, one thing comes along, I get used to the one thing, and then here's another thing to replace that one thing. And, I, you know, I like that one, and now I've got to get used to this one. But we just live in a changing world. And it, it, it changes so fast, it's just hard to keep up with it. So imagine my delight when about three weeks ago, my 11-year-old Noah came up to me and he, he said, Dad, my best friend and I want to do something that we heard about from you. Um, that They actually have a zoo that they created. Now, this is not my part, but they have a zoo that they created and it's in, in uh, his friend's garage. They've caught snakes, turtles, frogs. Um, Jane, what else is in there? I mean, it's just, it's full of creatures, basically from the Lipton Tea Factory Lake. And so they've created a zoo, and, um, you know, they charge admission. It's like, it's like five cents to go in the zoo. But at the end of the zoo, when you go all the way through the garage, they have a gift shop. And uh, things in the dollar store. So Noah said, Dad, we, we got to fix up the zoo. Our animals need new cages, and, you know, we need some heat lamps. And I said, what are you going to do? And he said, Dad, we are going to open a lemonade stand. And I said, wow, praise God, finally, something that has stood the test of time. So Noah and his little friend River go out. They set up the lemonade stand. Um, I can hear them in the distance. It's only a couple houses down. Uh, fresh lemonade, 50 cents a glass, ice cold. So I let them sell lemonade for a while. And, and then I thought, you know, it's about time to go check on them because it's hot and they've been out there a while. So I walked down the block. And um, I get a glass of lemonade, and it's actually pretty good. And I take a picture of Noah. Now, let me show you the picture of, of Noah. There's Noah in the lemonade stand. And so, for a minute, it feels like old school. Now, there is something, though, in the picture that is very different from my life and times. It's right down there in the corner. Does anybody see that mason jar? That mason jar, after three hours, was stuffed with cash. So... The next day, I said to Noah, okay, your, your two-day lemonade adventure is over. How much money did you make? And he said, well, River's mom just counted it up, and we made $190. <laughs> I 
And just all my thoughts of nostalgia are just blown up. The, you know, when I was a kid and I sold lemonade, two days of selling lemonade would may, maybe net you $10. Maybe. And, and back in the day, people would come up, they would buy lemonade, and if it wasn't good, they would bring the lemonade back and demand their money. <laughs> These guys, they literally had people coming up and just going, you know what, you guys are so cute because they're both little blonde hair boys. You guys are so cute. I don't even want lemonade. Here's $20. Here's $10. Here's $10. $190. Um, so, so, you know, there you go. Big change after all. Um, but listen, unless we are overly nostalgic, most of the change in our world is for the better. You know, advancement in technology and, you know, communication styles and uh, uh, mo modes of transportation. I mean, so much of it is better. I, I rarely hear People, you know, talking to one another are coming up to me and saying, you know, I just wish we could go back to the days of stage coaches or, you know, cave drawings. Most of what unfolds, most of what changes in our world is for the better. So, so the question today is, what does the church do with the change all around us? And, you know, it's, it's always a tension point in every church that, you know, the world is changing and, and there's a danger that the church can become obsolete, that what we do and how we do it no longer really connects with people on the outside. Or a younger generation grows up in the church and they don't understand the language. And so for the church, that there is a pressure, and I think it's a godly pressure, and I think it's a right pressure, that we do have an adaptability and a flexibility and that, that we are able to change with the times. So we have that side of it, but the other side is that we have an eternal heavenly Father that Scripture tells us does not change. He's not a shifting shadow. You know, it's not like, hey, God uh, 1.0, and then 25 years later, God, God 2.0 or 3.0. So we have an eternal Father, but there's something else we have, a couple of other things we have that are very important for the church to hold on to and, and to never change in regards to them and one is our message, and the other one is our, our mission. Now, our message is timeless. It's simple. We're, we're all pretty clear on it, and it is Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Savior of all who believe, and He brings the love of God as a reality to us and unpacks that in our lives, but He also brings us into an abundant life, a life that is so much better than anything we could squeeze out without Him. So our message as the church must never change in regard to Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we have a mission. And we know what the mission is. The mission is the Great Commission, that we are to take this beautiful message outside the doors of the church, that, that this, this message is not just for those of us who are saved, but this is a message that needs to get out there in the world to people who are spiritually lost. That is our mission. And yet so often when we look around or maybe we've visited different places, that there are a lot of churches out there, and, and, and we want to make sure we're never one of those, who are about a whole lot of other things beside the message and besides the mission of Jesus Christ. It happens. And so from time to time you might wander into a church and it doesn't take you long to figure out that it's, it's really just kind of a spiritual country club. 
you know, of people who regard themselves as spiritually better than everyone on the outside of their community. Um, there are times that, that you walk into a church and it's, it's just kind of a bless me club. It's, it's, hey, we are all here to get everything good that we can get from God and, well, good luck, I hope somebody reaches the world, but it won't be us. And then sometimes you have churches that, that kind of try to go the other way and they become like social action groups. And they're out there, and they're really doing some good in the world, but they're more like the United Way because they've left the message behind. They're doing good, but they've left the message behind. So the question is, how do we stay on track? How do we make sure that we, the church of Jesus Christ, we are on point with the message, and we are on point with the mission? And fortunately, today's word is going to go a long way to helping us that, with that, okay? So here's where we're going to be today. We are going to be in John 17. Um, many of you will know this. You can look in your Bibles if you see it there. But many of you already know John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's a great title. But I'd like to suggest a different title for that. I think a better title for it is the great handoff prayer of Jesus. Because John 17 is a very unique place in Scripture where Jesus, he is ending his earthly ministry, okay? Um, his time is up. He has done everything he's going to do on this earth. And um, he is now going to pass his ministry off first to the disciples and then that ministry is going to come to us. So this is a, this is a moment of handoff. And so we have these first beautiful five verses in uh, John 17, 1 through 15, where Jesus takes a moment and he is reflecting on, this earth, er, on his earthly ministry. And we all know what comes next for Jesus, right? It is the cross, all right? And the cross, for many of us, is a place of pain. It's a place of suffering. But I want you to know here in John 17, Jesus' tone here is victory. All right? He ends chapter 17 saying this, take heart, disciples, and all followers, you who will be the church, take heart, because I have overcome the world. And that's how Jesus enters into this prayer. It is victory, right? It is triumph, and it's beautiful. And so Jesus here is just taking a moment to reflect back on his, on his earthly ministry, and he opens up saying, Father, the hour has come. And what he means by that is Jesus, in terms of earthly ministry, I am at the finish line. I have finished everything you gave me to do. And Jesus will speak of glory several times. And that's what, that's what he's reflecting on. During my time here, God, I remained in you. I obeyed your commandments. I did exactly what you wanted me to do. So the hour has come. I am finished. I bore much fruit for you. And now, Father, the cross is in view. As I am lifted up on the cross, Lord, glorify me now. And, and, and again, this is a prayer where Jesus is not really thinking of himself. He's not saying, oh, God, you know, now, can I have a little bit of credit? Could, could the spotlight shine on me? That's not what he means, but he's saying, Father, as I am lifted up, may your glory be released. I will take that authority that you have given me, and from what happens on the cross, I will, as the risen Son of God, offer salvation to everyone who calls on me, everyone who confesses me as Lord and Savior. 
And when that moment is up, God, I am coming back to you up in heaven, and you and I are going to share the eternal glory that we've had since before the world began. Okay, so that's the opening. But now let's dig into uh, Jesus' shift of prayer focus to the disciples, okay? This is when he's talking about those those 11 that, that remain and all of us who will follow. Let me read this to you. It's a bit long, but it's really good, okay? This is meaty stuff. John 17, 6 through 19. Father, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And your glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one, Judas, doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your, world, your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Oh, Father God, we love your word. What a rich passage in Jesus to think that this was the prayer from your heart and from your lips for us. Father God, in the time we have, we will not do justice to the depths and the richness of this prayer. But Father, I thank you for the gold, the spiritual gold, the spiritual feast that is here for us today. And I just pray, God, that, oh, we'd be so encouraged. We'd be so inspired, Lord, that, that we would truly be changed. Holy Spirit, come and just apply the Word of God to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jesus opens the passage by, by very quickly going to the 12 disciples. And, and in part, this is, this is for us as well. But he's saying, Lord, when, when I came to the 12 disciples... I showed them who you are. I know we have a lot of different pictures of, you know, Jesus and the 12 and their conversations. And, but, but all of their time with Jesus was him pulling back the curtain on who God is, what God is all about. And so Jesus says, I have done this. And these, these disciples have responded. You know, they have accepted your word. They've received your word, Lord. They, they've embraced your word. They, under my training and my supervision, they have really come to obey your word. 
And so here is Jesus looking back on the disciples, and I know sometimes the disciples come off like, you know, the Marx brothers, or, you know, they have these moments that are, that are three stooges-esque, I guess. But, but Jesus is saying, look, these guys now know as I go to the cross, they know that everything I've said and done, it all comes from you. They understand that this was you working through me. But here I am, and it is now my time to leave this world. And so that means that this ministry of proclaiming you, and, you know, in word and deed, this ministry now goes to the twelve. So in other words, for, for the disciples, their training wheels are coming off here. It is their time to reach the world. It is their time to go out like Jesus and bear much fruit. And, and Jesus adds something in here that I think is so important. It's easy to read past it. But he says, look, while I was with them, I acted as their shepherd. I, I like to think there are a lot of times when the disciples didn't even realize that Jesus was protecting them. You know, they, they, they didn't really see or get that he was standing guard, but Jesus says, look, I, I protected them while I was with them, but now I'm leaving. So, Father God, would you protect them? And I think this leaves us with a really good question um, as, as church people today, and the question is, well, protect us from what? What is it that those disciples and we who are disciples today, what do we need protection from? And there are two things that come out of this passage. One is very obvious. The other one's a little more subtle, but it's there. The two answers are this. We need protection from the world, and we actually need protection from ourselves, okay? Now, when it comes to the world, there, there are kind of two parts, parts to this. Uh, in, in verse 14 and 15, and the world part is easy, by the way, but in 14 and 15, um, there, there are two things about the world that jump out. And number one is that we actually have an enemy. Now, you guys know that, right? We, we do have a spiritual enemy, and he's not a wimp. He is a powerful being. Jesus refers to him here as uh, the evil one, but, it, but it's Satan. And Satan, in all of his power, he is dead set, literally dead set, because he's bringing death every chance he can. He is dead sent, uh, set against the things of God. And Satan is on the loose in a very real sense on this earth, and we need divine protection from him. So Jesus prays about that. But he also speaks here of the world hating them, you know, hating the disciples and in a sense, hating us. And, and yes, on one hand, that points to something that Phil could tell us a lot about, which is religious persecution around the globe. There are many parts of our world where to be a Christian is to end up in jail or it's to end up dead. So there is a very real, the world hating us, uh, on the loose here, but, but th this also refers to the fact that we and the world are on opposite sides of the playing field. You know, if you think about it, you know, think about life as a football field for a minute, okay? Here we are as Christians, and we have the message of Jesus Christ, and we have the mission of Jesus Christ, and we have a finish line, all right? We're trying to move the ball across the field and share this salvation and share this life and bring people into the fullness of God. That is our mission. Well, the world is on the other side of the field, and they have a different finish line. And that finish line uh, is 
anything that's not the things of God, you know, temporary comfort or me first or whatever the values are in a different culture. But, but we are on opposite sides moving against one another, and we also need divine protection as Christians, not just so, you know, we don't get beat up along the way. That's part of it. But also so we as Christians don't get sucked in to the, uh, to, to the flow of the world, you know, and, and, and suddenly we're not about the mission. And we're not about the message. We need protection. Our hearts do. But then there's this, this other thing that Jesus alludes to here that's a bit more subtle, and it's that we need protection from ourselves as, at times as Christian. Uh, Jesus, Jesus says, protect them, Lord, that they may be one, Father, as you and I are one. So the protection that we need against ourselves it is a little thing called division. Now, let me ask you a question. We'll keep it real objective here. Does anybody think that division is a threat to the body of Christ worldwide? Uh, well, let me give you some statistics, okay? The World Christian Database, I could not believe this when I read it. The World Christian Database records Major denominations, okay? There's a, there's a number for major denominations. Guess how many major denominations there are in the world today? Anybody want to guess? Okay, who said 10,000? There are 9,000. You nailed it. 9,000 major denominations. Okay, when you get to splinter denominations, the World Christian Encyclopedia in 2001 lists the number of all denominations at 33,830. That was 18 years ago. There is the danger of God's people splintering apart. Jesus knows exactly what he's praying about. But it's not just the church in general. There is also the threat of division and splintering off within individual churches. You know, and, and we've all heard of that. Maybe we've been a part of it or we've seen it here from time to time that a church gets so out of sorts with each other that they're no longer about the message or the mission of Jesus Christ. So this protection that he prays over us, this, this unity, this oneness, it's, uh, it, it's very real. Jesus knows what he's praying. So Jesus prays that prayer of protection over them in verse 11 so this doesn't happen. Again, Father, protect them by the power of your name so that they may be one as we are one. And then Jesus adds a little nugget in here. And I just, I read this and I just, I actually started laughing when I read it because I was meditating on it. I, I just, I was just overcome. He also prays that we will experience the full measure of his joy within us. You know, a couple weeks ago, we, we prayed about love, or we preached about love, and love binds us together. When the love of God is, is with the people, man, it just pulls them together. It covers a multitude of sins. Joy also binds people together. And just to be really specific about what Jesus is talking about when he, when he means joy, he is referring to the fullness of the Holy Spirit poured out over people. He is talking about Pentecost. He's talking about Acts 2, that we would be a people filled to overflowing with the, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Sanct and, and then um, Jesus also, uh, uh, we get on to today's word, okay? 
So, so we've, we've got that joy, we've got that protection, but now we get to today's word in verse 17 through 19. I think it's in your bulletins as a dead giveaway. You'll hear it a few times, see if you can pick it out. Verse 17 through 19. Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Does anybody want to guess what the word is? Sanctification. And by the way, this is the word that for some people, it, it just brings up fear. You know, it makes your bones shake. If you grew up in a very legalistic church where, you know, behavior is everything, act perfect, always be here. This is a word, it's kind of spooky from the past. For other people, they hear the word sanctification. And of course, sanctification is all about holiness, and they take a look at their lives and they go, I just don't measure up. Today, we're going to recapture sanctification. So here's what it means. Great big word, very simple definition. Sanctification means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. It is to be set apart by the Lord from the world. Now, here's how sanctification happens, okay? Uh, first of all, this setting apart happens to us at salvation, Okay, when we are saved, we are moved by God from death to life. All right, there's still things God needs to work on and he will work on in the future, but we are a new creation in Christ. All right, as a part of the world, we're a product of sin, but when we say yes to Jesus Christ, boom, sanctification starts, and in that moment, we are set apart. But setting apart and sanctification continues as we do some things as Christians. Now, one is as we get into the Word of God and we read the Word of God and we hear it preached and we meditate on the Word of God, that setting apart continues. You know, the Word talks about us being transformed by the renewing of our mind, uh, by the Word of God. So it happens very naturally just as we get our noses into this book and it gets into our heart. So there is a plug to be reading the Word of God. It pays off. Um, a another way that we are set apart more and more is as we worship. You know, worship is one of the clearest ways that we just step deeper into relationship with God as we sing who He is. You know, as, as those words wash over us, Hayden said that today, you know, as, as we reflect and we declare the great truths of God's character and His power, worship is another way that we continue to be set apart even more. Of course, it happens with prayer. It happens as, as we journey into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. God does, there is a whole lot of sanctification that is just God working on us. That's kind of nice, huh? Takes a little bit of pressure off. But here's something else about sanctification. Um, it is an awesome work. It is of God. But sanctification is not just something that happens to us. Sanctification is also something we are to play an active role in. You and I have a very real calling and a real responsibility when it comes to sanctification. So this is a two-part work. Um, Jesus speaks to this a little bit, uh, kind of subtly here in verse 19, when he says, I sanctify myself. It's not completely the work of the Heavenly Father. Jesus is saying, I play a part in this. I sanctify myself. Now again, what is he talking about? He is talking about the cross. Okay, Jesus 
willingly went to the cross. He wasn't drugged to the cross. He said yes. He agonized over it in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus went to the cross. We, he, we are so clear that this was his heart. This was his intention. Jesus chose to go and die. He chose to lay down his life for us, his earthly life. And brothers and sisters, this is the part that's not that American. We are called, gulp, to do the same thing. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this is some of our favorite quotes of his, but when Christ bids someone to come to him, he bids him to come and die. This is a principle that is all over the New Testament, but I'm just going to pull out one verse, and some of you guys can probably guess which verse it's going to be. Listen to this, Galatians 5.24. Paul writes and he says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, I want you to know as Christians, we are called not only to read the Word, not only to pray, not only to worship, not only to share life together, every one of us individually, we have a calling and there is a heavenly expectation that we will crucify our flesh. Meaning there is some death involved in the Christian life to this world and, and, and our part in it and all of that as we get closer and closer to Jesus as we say yes. In other words, I'll just say it the way I heard it when I was younger. There are some things in this life that you and I have to put down and walk away from. There just are. You know, I, I love the world that I live in. I think it's a beautiful world. I thank God that I'm an American. I mean, I could probably sing that song right now by Lee, Lee Greenwood. I love all of that. But there are some things out there in our world that bring spiritual death, and they bring spiritual darkness. And even as a Christian walking through this world, we can pick those things up. We can choose to engage in, in those things. And, and these are any of those things that bring separation. They damage that relationship, the, the closeness that we have with the Father, or that they bring in death, the darkness. They, they, you know, they corrupt the message that we have to share, or they compromise our, our mission. And some of those things are universal. There are some things out there that it doesn't matter who you are if you pick them up. Dark and death, and, and death are coming in. There are some things that are a bit more unique. I mean, some of us, there are some things out there that, uh, that they might get in your way, but they might not get in my way. But the bottom line is this. There, those things, Paul calls them things of the flesh, and he tells us to literally crucify them, to die to them. Now, here's another question. Why? Why do that? You know, why take this journey of sanctification? Is it so we as Christians can kind of walk around like spiritual Scarlett O'Hara's, you know? I mean, oh, I'm better than the rest of y'all. I'm, I'm holy. Y'all are unholy. Fiddly-dee. Is it, is it to make us a bunch of elite people who are just better than the rest of the world? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The reason that we choose sanctification as Christians, the reason we say, yes, God, yes, I'm going to say no to some things, I'm going to say yes to some other things. Lord, I want you to work on this heart. I want to, you to make me clean. The reason we do this is the same reason that Jesus did it. 
I'm going to give you two of the most powerful words in this passage. They come out of verse 19, and here they are. For them. This is the reason Jesus sanctified himself. Listen to this. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And so, so, so I want to make sure we get this. Sanctification in, by definition from Jesus, okay, from Jesus, it is being set apart from the world so that he can turn around after, as he sanctifies us and send us right back into the world. That's what's missing so often in churches that say, you know, we're going to separate ourselves or we're going to go be a community. We're going to come out from among them and be separate and never see him again. Jesus' reason for sanctification was for the sake of the world. He was sanctified on the cross to bring us salvation. Folks, we are to be like Jesus Christ. We are to be both set apart and sent back. We have the very same mission as Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? The Great Commission was his mission. I came here to seek and save the lost. That is the Great Commission. We have the, 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 the same message, God's salvation. So it's very important that we go through the, the, this, uh, just this whole process of sanctification. Now, here's why a lot of people out there feel bad about sanctification. I sort of mentioned it, but I'll go a little deeper into it. Some of us feel really bad about sanctification, i.e. holiness, um, because, because, you know, we feel like it's all on us. You know, we read the passage in Scripture that where God says, be holy like I am holy, and we go, well, there we go, you know. I'm sunk. I'm dead. I mean, I know the thoughts I think. You know, I know the mistakes I make. I know the habits. You know, I know these emotions that get out of control. I can't do this. But folks, even as God calls us to be holy... Even as we're invited into sanctification, God helps us with it. It just blows me away the extent to which God helps us grow. God helps us with it. I mentioned the Holy Spirit earlier, that we would be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know why else the Holy Spirit is here? To help us with sanctification. You know that conviction where you feel every now and then like you've done it? You knew you shouldn't do it. That conviction is the Holy Spirit saying, come on, let's be free. Confess that or mend that relationship or say no to that thing. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us see where the mission is compromised. You know, where, the, where we're in trouble with the message, we're not living it. And the Holy Spirit does that in so many ways. Broken relationships, habitual sins, attitudes, judgments that slows us down. But the Holy Spirit never convicts us to shame us. He convicts us to bring us forward into salvation and into freedom. And so at the end of the day, that is what sanctification is all about. It is about our freedom. So, so if you came in here today and it felt like a yoke on your neck that you could never live up to, just realize sanctification is about freedom. It is about you and I having the freedom to walk away from everything that enslaves us, everything that is a shackle to us. And it's also the freedom to really join Jesus in the Great Commission, proclaiming the very same message. So, folks, there it is. Sanctification. Set free, set apart, sent back for Jesus.
Let me pray for us. Oh, God, thank you. Lord, thank you so much. And Father, just as, as we hear um, this message today, as we read this scripture, uh, Lord, we're all aware that this is a very high bar that you set for us. And sanctification is, is no small thing. And Father, I, I just confess, and I think we all do right now, that Lord, we do miss the mark. Father, we do all fall short. God, we all have room to grow in sanctification. But Lord, to think that you have thrown the doors wide open and said, come to me. I've given you a comforter. I've given you an encourager. I've given you a Lord who has made this possible. So God, we just ask you today to, to strengthen that very godly inner no when it comes to, to things out there in our world that bring death and darkness. God, we also ask you just through this whole process to strengthen our inner yes to the things that bring life. Lord, yes to, to the great mission and the message. And Jesus, I thank you too for your guarantee that you are going to finish what you started in us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're, you're also aiding in the process. And Lord, I, I just thank you that we are not who we used to be. But Lord, may we as Christians and we as a church May we truly in every respect be a, be a part of the life that you intend to pour out on this world, in this community, in Jesus' name. Have your way. And thank you, Lord, for the great, great gift of sanctification. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org. 